Hi, I'm Sung Ray. I'm something else. Here at Black Girl Soul, a podcast where we discuss the Asian dramas we love from a Black female perspective. We are looking to be entertained, to learn about other cultures, and share our passion for these shows. Welcome. Hello, everyone. This is Black Girl Soul. I am something else with Song Ray and Natasha. Hello. We are discussing Pachenko again. This time we're going to be talking about episode three. Take it away, Song Ray. All right. Well, episode two left us off with Kohansu and Sunja, her telling him that she's pregnant and him revealing his truth. And so what we learn is that he is a married man with a family. He has three girls and his wife is in Japan and he has no intention of marrying her. So that's like heartbreaking for her. She's dealing with learning about that and realizing she's going to have to make some different suggestions and plans for her life since she is pregnant. We meet her future husband. This time we're getting to learn more about Hannah and the situation going on with her as well as Solomon's business deal and how it turns out. That may have been most of what happened in three. Three didn't have too many events, but they like really delved into stuff. I think one of the takeaways for me was this intro for this one was that they put it together pretty well and showing us the Sunja from the 80s, the late 80s to Sunja in her youth and going back and forth between the things that she was dealing with. But that was pretty much overall our episode three, unless someone else had something they wanted to add. I think that's a great recap because the stories are starting to unfurl and you get just a little bit more about each of them while at the same time asking more questions. So I'm going to start spoiling the heck out of it so we can have that real discussion if everyone is ready. Yeah. Okay. So... For example, we meet, I don't know completely how you say her name, the sister-in-law. Kyung Hee. Thank you. Thank you. So we already met the sister-in-law, but the sister-in-law passes in this episode. And what Natasha will know, but the rest of us don't, is her significance. Because you know that she's a sickly character. You know that Sunja is taking care of her. But we don't know what the significance of this character is to Sanja. So I think Natasha, last time you kind of hinted at the fact that she's just like an angel and someone who really helped Sanja. Yeah, I'm curious to see how the show is going to portray her when they go back in time to show her relationship with Sanja. But she was, she was just a really sweet lady. Um, and I don't want to give away too much, but I mean, you, we kind of know, I guess if you've watched episode three, that Sunja is going to move to Japan. We know she's in Japan in, two, in 1984 anyway. So um, when she moves to Japan, Kyung Hee was such a huge support for her. So I, I hope that the show gets more into, into their relationship. Based off of what I saw from the previews for episode five and the... Like, you know, they have the little caption picture. So, like, based off of what I saw there in the caption picture, that's who is in the picture. It is Sunja and uh, Kyung Hee. Mm-hmm. Is that her name? Yeah. 
the okay. institute of them and you see them standing there and then they in the description they talk about her meeting her sister-in-law so yes. i'm thinking they're going to give us some beats yes i think a book can do better at giving people lots of dimension because you get into their history and and more e emotional layers of people and I don't know how the show's going to be able to do it, but the two of them, not only is Kyung Hee a huge support for Sunja when she gets to, to Japan, they just, they go through a lot together on an emotional level. And I, I just, I don't know, their relationship is very special. And you, and I think you can kind of see that when you see how she's taking care of her and how much she loves her. But I hope that they get into that history of their relationship. I know for me, um, in episode three, one of the things that I really took away was I was kind of hurt by the sudden full view of Kwansu. Just he was a mysterious guy who didn't seem very loving or kind to others. He seemed to care about her and, you know, to have an affection for her. But then once we got the full view of who he was as far as being a married man with a family, oh, I have no intention of marrying you. Why are you even bringing up marriage? I was like really taken back. And I think I was even more disappointed that a... 30-some-odd-year-old man says to a 17-year-old, I thought you knew what this was. And I was like, what the hell? I was done at that point. Like, this sucker here, oh, God, he's trash. Like, you didn't say that to her and really meant it, right? So, I don't know. How'd you guys feel about that? Like, in my mind, he was king fuckboy, and that was a page from the book of fuckboy, chapter 12, verse 2. Like, I was done. about it? <laughs> I'm sorry, I gotta laugh about that. Wait, say that again. He's King Fuck Boy, and he what? Read from the Book of Fuck Boy? Yes, yes. That verse two. Yes. Oh my gosh. Okay, thank you for that. Okay, go on, Natasha. I'm sorry. I'm upset about the way the way he's being portrayed. Okay, you guys know me. I can sometimes be naive about people's intentions, and I want to look see the best in people. And maybe I missed it in the book. But I feel like he's being portrayed, Kohansu is being portrayed on the show as more heartless than I portrayed him, like the way I perceived him when I read the book. So when I saw that, I was very upset because, yes, he was married in the book. Yes, he had some daughters in the book. And yes, he told her that he couldn't marry. He wasn't going to marry her. But it wasn't like he didn't deliver it that way. And I don't know, you know, the news is the news. so. It's not good news. I can own that part of it. But I still felt like it was complicated. And I don't know if they're going to get into Kohansu's marriage or anything like that on the show. But I felt like in the book, to me, he was a more sympathetic character. The way he's being portrayed, and, and I don't know if this is my naivete from when reading the book that I just didn't see it all along, but from the way I'm looking at the show, I feel like he's being portrayed as a villain. And not just in episode three, but even in episode four, we'll get to that. It's just, it. I feel like it's a departure from the book and I don't like it. Okay, and you all have to understand, y'all don't know Natasha, but in her language right now, she is heated. Like, you don't realize this, but she is heated, y'all. Like, she is normally real calm. She's darn near throwing F-bombs. Y'all just don't know it. You just don't realize. I can easily see how when you read a book and you have more time to kind of, especially if you have a good writer, right, to kind of work through those emotions and where that character was coming from, especially if and you tell me, 
in the book where the characters speaking from their own voices? I can't remember. I don't remember. I wish I had the book in front of me to look and see. But the way I took it, first of all, in the book, Sunja was more of the aggressive. Not, I don't want to say she was the aggressive. She she had a right to be upset, but she was way like way more vocal in the book, mm-hmm. and she went off on him in the book. In the show, it's almost like he just broke her heart and she kind of withered a little bit and ran away to figure out how to hurt him most, you know. But in the book, she had more strength in that scene. Uh, and I think I would have preferred to see that than what we saw. I because yeah. kind of shrinking back and then running off in the rain. That was not it for me. I was pissed off because I wanted her to tell him about himself. Yeah, in the book, she was just like, you want a son? You're never going to see this son ever. You know, he's you're not he's not even going to know about you. I mean, she just she 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 got she went off on him in the well, book see, and it was almost like she left him broken in the book mm. that's see, how I, I read it I agree with Sungray I think it would have been interesting to see her have some more complexity and character because to have an innocent girl be broken hearted is an easy trope you know like oh poor thing you got used up by some dude you didn't know what was going on he's an F boy woo 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 but to have someone who is while still betrayed by her lover, to have her be angry and to express that would have been way more interesting a scene, you know, just when you think about scenes. Yeah, that's how I saw it, too. Even though she came off as angrier in the book, she was still hurt, you know, like I still felt for her. She was still hurt, but I also had more sympathy for Kohansu's situation and the situation he was in, and I don't know where they're going to take his story and if they're going to get into it, but Based on the way that this played out, I don't know how the future is going to look in the show. I was going to say they did in that scene while it was happening. He did have the point to stop and say it was a marriage of convenience and it wasn't like it was a true love marriage. But, you know, it was what was needed for whatever the time. So I kind of wondered were they going to delve deeper into that and explain what he meant by that? Because we didn't get much other than him making that statement. Yeah, I hope so. I hope they do. I mean, and that's that's going to. Getting into all these people's lives is going to take several seasons, but I hope they do. I hope they do get into it. And then it made me question in the show: Did he really love her? You know, did he really love her, or was he just using her, or was he? Did he did love her, and he was just lashing out at the fact that she's kind of rejecting him in this case? I don't know. But in the, when I was reading the book, I didn't question his love for her, and now. On the show, I'm questioning whether or not he loved her or if she was just a naive girl that he could take advantage of. Because I'm going to be honest, that was kind of where my thoughts went to as well. I was like, in my head and why I was easily able to call him a fuckboy and feel fine with that was because it seemed like even as he got upset, he even went into lecturing her about who was going to marry her. And my thing was he had the audacity to get angry and try to say nobody would marry her because of who her father was. And I'm going... The hell what kind of thing is that to say when this girl just told you she's pregnant by you because you are doing what you've been doing and she's a child too. You're married. Like, dude, I, I had no love and I couldn't figure out in my head. No, he couldn't. He couldn't possibly love her for the way he's talking to her. Okay. So this is where I'm going to disagree slightly with you guys. And maybe it's because I'm imbuing the characters of the story with things that are not there. But I think he loved her in the way that a man 
American love of that time period. Like I'm throwing in that time period. Number one, she was 17. Who knows when young women were getting married then? You know what I'm saying? Like maybe they're getting married at 15 or 16 or something like that. She was of marriageable age, maybe in that world, maybe. Also, of course he was completely wrong for not telling her from the get-go that he was married, had kids, the whole nine yards, like this is what it is, because he knew she was an innocent, conservative girl in a conservative world. There's no way she would have been dipping it low with dude if she had known what was up. But I also think that maybe he didn't expect her. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, maybe he thought he was going to get it in because he's working in this little fish town, whatever. I don't think he expected her. I think he did love her or care about her. But he also knew things that he knew she didn't know. Like, her circumstance was not grand. Like, she knew she had that stigma of her father, and they were doing well for themselves. They were solid middle class, maybe. But there weren't all these suitors at the door for her. I mean, she's in prime marriageable age, beautiful girl, going to the the markets all the time. She didn't have a man. She didn't have any kind of prospect. You know, like, let's keep it a buck about Sunja. I still don't think that makes it okay, though, because regardless of her situation, what I'm saying is if you love a person, you don't dig into their pain. He well, dug no, into her I, pain because he was pissed off. I think, I think they were arguing, and he did the thing that people do when they argue unfortunately. They were not arguing. nice. They, they weren't arguing in that show. They was not arguing. They were, they she were arguing. She said, I'm pregnant. No, they were not. He was doing the talking. She said, I'm mm-hmm. pregnant. He says, oh, okay, great. Well, I'm going to have a wonderful son. How do you know it's right. going to be a son? Like, they would do all of that. And when she and said she married. Said, then she says, um, we should get married and yada, yada. And then he, he told her, no, that's not going to happen. And she's looking all broken hearted, like, what the hell, dude? And then he lashes out because he's mad that she's like not right, down for the program. My point is, it wasn't an argument. They they literally were not arguing. She stated her points. He got upset, and then he started lashing out. Mm-mm, that's to me the they were in conflict. I mean, I don't, whether you want to call it an argument or I not, they were in conflict. But I don't feel right. like it was a. The reason I'm saying it wasn't an argument is because I want to keep in mind, and as we keep talking. This is a 36-year-old man, and this is a 17-year-old woman. And regardless of marriageable time periods, she has a certain mentality that we have to keep in mind, and he has a mentality that we have to keep in mind. And I feel like his mentality should have been more mature. End of story. Um, is he 36? According to what I read, yeah. Okay. I wasn't sure. It's, I was never clear on how much older he was. I knew he was older. I thought it was just 10 years, but it could be that much more, like 20 years older. Um, I was trying to think about what he thought her reaction was going to be. And I think in the book and in the in the show, I don't know that it would have been different. I think his expectation was, I'm going to have a separate family here in Korea. Like, I got my mm-hmm. Japanese family that I don't really care for too much. And I'm going to have, like, my real love family. And I can't marry you on paper but at least that's how that's how i wanted to see it like i'm gonna be your unofficial husband basically like when i'm here i'm your husband and when i'm not here i'm gonna be taking care of you guys so and and 
and maybe that's harder to see on the show, but in the book, that's how I read it. And that's why I felt like, you know, he really had love for her and he was just in a situation where he couldn't marry her. But if he could, he might have, I don't know. I don't know if he would have been as rich and powerful if he wasn't married to a Japanese woman. He probably wouldn't be, but. Um, yeah, I, I definitely think he was ratchet for even having that. Um, like there have been men and we know about this who, who have those scenarios and those setups, but he was ratchet. He knew he was ratchet. My thing was, <laughs> come on now. Like you're going to have, come on. Yeah, dude. I don't know. Like, I, I, I think he was, he was ratchet. I think for the time period, he, we, if we think about it in that time period where, where you're, you really get married for your husband to provide for your family. And so he was basically saying, I'm going to do that for you. I can still do that for you. I have that love for you. You're still going to be basically my wife. We just won't be together all the time. And so I feel like his intentions were to take care of her and have this family and to be happy while he was there. I thought that's how, that's how I took it. And I, I and I did have sympathy for him. I agree and with you totally, Natasha. At that oh. time, I do feel like he thought that was what was going to happen, that she no. would just be okay with him providing the house and taking care of her family and the kids and no. everything was going to be great. And we might even have more children because I want to think he said that, but I'm not yes. sure. But I felt like he thought we're going to grow a full family here. But that was still super duper ratchet and he knew it was ratchet. It's the logic of an old school F boy. Think about the guy who is a full on bigamist and he's like i love both of them i love you both equally okay sir yes that's your logic but, but he doesn't right. love both no one on the streets he doesn't love both people. right and no one in these streets would accept that like what he's gonna go to her mama's house sit in front of her and say she's gonna be my number one mistress and we gonna have whole family no no he knows that's why no. he waited to tell her that's why he didn't tell her from front end okay we're about to get down but you know, I got a wife somewhere. He knew not to say all that stuff. He knew not I think to bring the out the truth. I, I feel like the ratchet part, like we we may see what the diff, where his fault is. To me, and I don't remember if they got into this in the show, but I know they got into it in the book, is that yes, he could have taken care of her and still had their pseudo family whenever he was in town. But the main sticking point, I think for Sunja and like their society at that time period is that their kid could not have his name. Their their kids could not have his name. And so that was that was like a big thing that kept coming up. Like my kid, my baby needs a name. He has to have a name. Otherwise it'll bring shame on our family. And what kind of future will we have if he does if our kid doesn't have a name? Like a last exactly. name, basically a family name. Exactly. And so to know the weight of that, dude knew from get-go. Like I'm gonna have all these extra kids with you out in these streets. I don't care how much he takes care of him, what kind of top brand ramen he brings home to his side kids. At the end of the day, he ain't giving them a name. He knows what the game is. He knew he was telling, he knew what he was doing to Chick from get-go. My thing is, I believe that he was of the mindset of the traditional F-boy who has side families. Like, I say this as a, a half-Nigerian. I know how that goes. Y'all, come on now. Y'all heard the stereotype got a family in America and a family in Nigeria. Like it's, it's happened since the beginning of time. Dude's doing this kind of stuff. I do think he cared about her. I, I do think that he was surprised by her. He fell for her, all the, the wonderful feelings, all that stuff. But at the end of the day, ratchet. 
I'm done with my diatribe. Well, I still have sympathy for Kohansu, and I'm sorry that they're in that situation for both of them. Hopefully, I don't know, based on episode four, I don't know how they're going to paint Kohansu, but I'm holding out that he can be kind of redeemed at some point. I think Kohansu, like real talk, I'm going to make this up because I don't know yet, but y'all know I like to make up a story. This is what happened. Korean guy gets over to Japan. He has to hustle, bustle, do whatever he needs to do. He ends up in places that maybe the innocent Kohansu never would have ended up in. And then somewhere in there, he makes a good marriage to a Japanese woman that gives him a leg up, but also means that he always has to prove himself. He always has to deliver. And so when he has to go back to Korea to handle business for the family, because I'm assuming that his Japanese wife is somehow connected to wealth or to privilege or whatever, then he gets to breathe. In Korea, he gets to be himself again. He gets to get back in touch with the, the young boy he used to be. Then he meets an innocent woman who wants him for him, who doesn't want him because he's proving himself, doesn't want him because he has to be the good, dutiful husband for these kids from a woman that he's not really checking for who might or might not love him for real. Like, yeah, he meets a tenderoni. Of course he's going to be sprung on a tenderoni and he plays the tenderoni. And then he thinks that, you know, just taking care of her is enough. Suppose he changes his mind for real, for real. Like looking out for Sunja here, right? She a character, but let's look out for her. Would you tell her to put her eggs in a basket with some dude who will take care of her at his whim? her whole survival, her children's survival on the whim of this guy. Suppose he starts thinking that she looks old or her body isn't what it used to be or he's no longer checking for her. Then she and her kids are on the street. Like, nah, nah. I agree with you there. Like, I don't think that she should have just taken his word, like, oh, you're going to take care of me. Like, I feel like she had to kind of look for, I mean, she didn't even know it was going to happen, basically. I mean, it just kind of came out of nowhere. But she had to see if there was another way for her to live a more secure and honorable life. So I don't fault her for that, but I still have sympathy for Kohansu and how she crushed his dream. And then that leads us to Isaac, right? Before we go there, before okay. we go there, I wanted to point out one of the things that I thought was extremely poetic because we really haven't met him yet. But one of the poetic scenes was the meeting of her past and her future as Isaac is getting off the ferry riddled with tuberculosis, falling all over, can't really handle himself. And then you have Kohan Su walking past and they bump into each other yep. as he's heading to get onto the ferry. And I was like, whoa, that was a really like cool scene if you are fully aware and paying attention to what's going on. That that's her future and her past meeting each other. Yep. I saw that too and that was dope. I think the show has a number of places where they do those kinds yes. of things and they have these symbolic scenes. And we'll talk about it later because I noticed it in other episodes, but I, I totally saw the same thing and bumping into each other, like on the heels of her having that argument, conflict, whatever we want to call it, you know, lover's tiff. Okay. On the heels of them having that, he's running past angry and then he bumps into her future. And that's how we meet Isaac. Sickly, earnest, missionary Isaac. Who would like to talk about him first? Yeah, I'm just curious to see these people come to life. And he did come like that in the book. He came sick. 
on his way to Japan and he's looking specifically for their boarding house because his brother had stayed there and it it's not it's an insignificant detail but that's why he was seeking them out because his brother had stayed there many years before when he was traveling to Japan and he says you have to stay here this family is great the wife can really cook the husband's a gentle man and so he was looking for that place and he and you know what Isaac or Isaac he has a history of being sick now I don't know if if he's had tuberculosis before and almost died or if he's just been sick all his life or different type of ailments because he's a weak a weak man but um I'm wondering if that's what led him in. It is what led him into the ministry. Sorry, I'm rambling. Because my memory is like picking up some stuff that I had forgotten about Isak. And I don't know if it came up in this episode or not. You can tell me. But he's going to Japan as kind of like a missionary to, to open up some church, a Christian church. His brother did the same. And the reason why he sought that path is because he thought that he would have a short life and that he would never get married and have a family and that this was the best way to to have a purpose and to serve for his life so he's a complicated character i hope they get more into what he he's about in this in this um in the story they kind of hinted at that though i mean when he was having the conversation with her in the restaurant i want to say that he kind of said something along those lines I'd have to go back and watch yeah, it, but what you're saying jives with what I believed about him, or maybe what I assumed about him, because he clearly did say that he's sickly, and then someone asked if he came from a sickly family or something, or something, <laughs> and then he and then yeah. he said and that he said his, no. his brother was sicker than he was, or that his brother, or no, maybe he said his brother was stronger. Sicker. Right, yeah, right. he was stronger than he was. Right, right. okay. Yeah, my memory's not the best. And then stuff starts to get muddled between what I saw and what I read. And so the show strays away from the book with Isak a little bit because he does hear them talking about the whole pregnancy when Sunja reveals this to the mom and he has sympathy for Sunja. But in the book, he approaches the mom, not Sunja, and talks to her. And the mom presents the option to Sunja. Now I don't know the significance of that and like how that makes a difference that they changed it in the show where he kind of has this little mini date with Sunja to present it to her. But I found that like an interesting change and I couldn't see why they would change it. To be honest, I don't understand that either because I kind of wondered while he was presenting this to her and while it kind of flew, why didn't he talk to her mom or why didn't the mother become addressed? Because Notice when she was talking to Kohansu about the baby, her first words were, oh, okay, so when will you be able to come meet my mom? And he was like, meet your mom, meet your mom. For what? Because that's formality. You have to address the parents and get the parents' permission. So why they didn't have him talk to the mom first or have a, even if it was a short scene, why they didn't have him talk to the mom was a little strange to me. Yeah, and because it, and it, it seemed like it was really the mom's decision, you know, when the, at least in those times, the parents are the ones that make the decision for the for the daughters and who they're going to marry. And so I, I just I was confused as to why they changed that, because in the book, it was like, I I can help your situation. You guys nursed me back to life. You were so kind to me. I'm not going to live long, but I can give your grandchild a name and take care of your your daughter, you know, for as long as I'm alive. 
<clears throat> and the mom was just like, hey, Sunja, this is what you're going to have to do. It wasn't even like Sunja really had a choice in it all in the book. Right. And maybe modern sensibilities and the opportunity to kind of create an intimacy in a relationship between those two characters is why they decided to do it for the show, especially since, you know, it would have been more realistic that he went to the mother and the mother kind of decided, but then it would have, there's a part of con. I mean, if I had been the director, I would have done it the way it was in the book because it would have shown how Sunja maybe was at the whim of like society and her family and circumstance and not as self-propelling as we would have naturally wanted her to be. It would have just been interesting, but I understand kind of why they did it. Sung Ray, how did you like Isa? I'm now calling him Isa instead of it, it was, Isaac. I, I, I why I call him Isak. The reason why I'm calling him Isak is because when I was reading the book, I was also listening to the audio book mm. and he was called Isak in the book, in the audio book. Um, the same for the drama. In the drama, it's Isak. It's not Isaac. It's Isak. Oh, okay. You know what? I'm like looking. I, it's like I'm making their names, Christian names in my head, like because of their family. I'm like going, well, maybe they must have named them Christian names and therefore, but maybe that's the Christian version of their names. I'm messing up. What do you think, Sung Ray, well, about when, him? When we met him, they did tell us that was when the pastor was talking or somebody was talking, they did tell us that was a biblical name. But okay. Isak is not Isak. We're using our English, what we understand. So, you know, it is what it is. Right. I like him as a character. I liked his person. Um, he's, I thought he was handsome. I'm not sure if that's how the girl portrayed him, but I thought he was handsome. Girl, yes, he um, is. I agree. He is handsome. So, yes, I was like, oh, okay, good job, Sunja. Like, you have, you know, moved on from fuckboy to someone who is about business. And one of the things I am going to laugh about as we just fast forward to early, later scenes when we talk about the sister-in-law's passing and how the pastor came over and a few other things I noted. Um, Isak obviously played a big role in Sunja's later life beliefs because she was not someone who came from a family that was Christian. She was not someone who came from a family that was into praying and things like that. But I noted every time they ate, he mentioned prayer. I noted that, you know, he brought in faith a lot. And then as you look at her later life, that's something you notice from her. So I was like, oh, okay. So I guess, you know, I just was like, that's interesting how he, I guess, wherever her family was at, that wasn't something that she had a strong faith or belief in or if they even mentioned it in the book because that was something I wanted to talk about if they even mentioned it in the book but it was something that she obviously held on to through her later life because it still had remnants there but I thought he was a good character I thought he was honorable because there was no reason for him to do this he didn't gain anything other than you know adding a wife a burden basically someone that he has to take care of someone he's you know got to be responsible for because she's coming from a place of nothingness but he took this on and I was like okay that made him look even much more like oh what a good guy he's going in to help this family just because he happened to be here and his reasoning was because they helped him when he was ill and I was like wow even still that is really honorable like wow so yeah, yeah I like his character well, well you know the minute he got off the boat I knew what was up 
And it's just because I watch stories a lot and I read a lot. The minute I saw him, I was like, he's the one that she's going to marry to get that name. Because someone, like, if I were reading a typical romance, you know, I love my romances, it would have been this whole romance between the two of them and him stepping up. And there you go, right there. That's how come I'm saying he's honorable. Had they just had a regular romance, different story. And that's what I thought we were going to see. But when the reasoning came out and when he explained, I was like, oh, okay, go ahead then. So, yeah. Well, you know, I did. I That's what I'm saying. I think I imbued, I add stuff to stories. So the thing I kind of added before I even knew what Natasha was saying about his, you know, him not thinking he'd have a family. I mean, I'm sure he's being kind and honorable and all that good stuff. But I do think there's a little bit of selfishness. There is a little bit. Because he never thought he would get married. He's been sickly. If you think that you're going to die, you don't move in particular ways. Because you don't think you're going to have a family. You don't think you're going to be able to completely take care of a family. Whatever. And he specifically asked her if she can make room in her heart eventually for him. So he's planning to have a real marriage. It's not like he's marrying her and he's like, okay, you're going to have your kid and, you know, we'll leave and go elsewhere, but, you know, you'll be okay. I think he's getting something out of it. I think it's 70% honorable and 30%. This dude never thought he'd get a wife, but maybe wherever he's from, people know him as sickly. They don't want to give their daughters over to him. And now here he has the opportunity to marry an attractive young woman who clearly comes from a, a certain mindset. Yeah, he's winning too. He's not losing. He's, win- he's winning too, but that's not his main motivation. And I don't think that him getting something out of the relationship, a family, um, a young wife, makes what he did less honorable. No, um, no, no, no. No, that's why I said 70-30. I think we, we can all agree that what he did was honorable and that he is going to get something out of it. But I don't think that that was his main motivation was that, oh, I, you know, it's just, it was like a sweet addition to what he was doing. It's like, oh, okay, I'm doing this and I can, I'll have a wife, you know, and this can be good for all of us. And I was happy for him that he got something out of it too, you know, that he had potentially was going to get something out of it too. Right. Now, let me ask a weird question and I don't expect y'all to have the answer, but you all noticed that that actor in the opening credits, he's wearing tennis shoes versus all the other men are wearing real like men's shoes. What does that mean? Does that mean anything or not at all? I didn't notice that. I wonder if it's a character, like a character trait of the actor, possibly. I don't know. Yeah, I just noticed he was wearing tennis shoes, like white tennis shoes. And it just stood out. I'll have to pay attention next they time. A particular way. I, I noticed the white tennis shoes, but I didn't think, oh, Isak's wearing the tennis shoes. I wonder what, I didn't think about it. So next time I watch the intro, I'm going to pay more attention and see if I see something in it. And so what else did you all notice about this episode? I noticed, and this is a departure from the book that I, I'm not sure where it's going to go. But when Solomon goes to the landowner to to try to convince her to sell her property, 
And she, you know, is like, no, I'm not hearing it. And so in the show, he gets his grand, he's like, I need my grandmother to talk to her. So he has, he has Sunja talk to this homeowner and, and that helps. It, it can, it helps him. It goes in his favor a bit, but in the book, completely different, completely different. And I'm trying, really? I'm still trying to, pro- yes. And I'm still trying to process why the change and what the significance of the change is. So in the book, he goes to his dad and asks his dad because his dad has lots of money and he's kind of powerful and he has people who work for him. So he asks his dad's like eager to help. And so he says, I'm going to, I'll help you and we'll send somebody to talk to this woman. So, and I, and I hesitate to say this. I guess I could say it cause it doesn't even come up in the show at all. But in the book, his dad sends somebody to talk to this woman. And the next day, the woman dies. And so then it's, yes. So then it's like, did some gangsters come and kill this woman for her land? Like, and so the Japanese are like, we don't want, we don't even want to touch it. We don't want to buy this woman's land anymore. It's going to look bad upon us because you sent your dad. And so it's, it's totally bad for Solomon in the book. In the show, it's, it's different. It's like, it's looking good. Like his, his grandma talks to the lady and they kind of bond on being from Korea and the special rice and, you know, and it's, it's, it seems like it's, it's taking a turn in his favor. So I found that very interesting and totally different. And I it kind is- of feel like because of the grandma, that is why they took this turn. They took this turn because they were like, from my eyes and what I'm seeing, they were using this to give you more details, more history, more backstory into the things that they went into dealt, dealt with during their youth, into their parallels as this is not just Sunja's story, but this is a story many women from that time period could tell you about the things that they dealt with. Like, that's how I perceive this now that you just shared that. I'm like, oh, they were trying to make sure we saw the hardships and the things that they went through being women during that time period. and how their lives are still affected in their old, you know, their older golden ages, how they're still affected by some of these things because you've got both of them had not been to school. Why? Because at the time it just wasn't important for girls to go to school or for people to go to school. Both of them were very uh, interested or pressed at the time with the concept of having rice and how rice was a hard thing to come by because they weren't selling it to Koreans. Um, both of them. So now that I'm paying attention to that scene, I see a lot of what they were pulling to give us. Otherwise, I guess that we won't get it because how else are they going to share that? How else are they going to give us these stories unless they break out and have a whole separate scene where they talk about this? You get me? And yeah, Sung, I agree. I agree with you, Sung Ray. I think that's. I think that has to be it. It has to be. It. They had to have that conversation to tell us some stuff that they wouldn't know how to insert into the show otherwise. In the time for you know, in the amount of time that they have in an hour or four seasons or whatever. So I guess that's why it's just so drastically different. I mean, it's, yeah. it, don't you, I mean, you guys can see that. Like it's a drastic oh, change. It's, it's, it's so it, is, it is, it is a drastic change, but I think it's actually genius because not only did they do everything that Sun Rain pointed out, like giving the history of these women and Korean women and that time frame. But like we need as many opportunities as possible to kind of do parallels between Solomon and Sunja, because we also see kind of the Koreanness of how 
that translates for Solomon. Solomon is learning to be Korean at that table. He is learning what it means at that table because he was going to trade on his Korean heritage to get the deal, but he didn't know what he was trading on. He didn't understand completely, maybe just because they didn't, you know, the way that older parents don't completely talk about their past until like something comes up and then you find out all this great stuff or horrible stuff about their past. It took him sitting there with her to go, oh, there's more going on. And I think at one point he's surprised he didn't know something about his grandmother. I forget what it was. And so I think there was also just like kind of introducing, because they really get into it in episode four, but like kind of Korea and Korean heritage as a thing that is valued and is lost. I think yeah. that that was happening at that table. Right. I think you, you guys are both right in that that was, it, it is a genius way to introduce that and to have that element of, you know, Solomon kind of learning about the history and what Koreans before him went through because he's, he's second generation born in Japan. His father was born in Japan too. So they, they do have that disconnect with Korea. And so that, that scene brings that. And I think that that was very helpful and it was a genius way for them to do it. I guess for me, I'm just trying to figure out like what, what we lost in doing it that way wasn't worth it. And as I'm thinking about it, I guess it was worth it for them to do it the way they did it in the show. Because what we lost was the history of from the way they did it in the book where the father has somebody go talk to the woman. That had some layers to it, too. And it was kind of going back to, you know, how Koreans were looked at in Japan because the father had this pachinko business and they're kind of looked at as like shady kind of not honorable type of business so they're they they were kind of getting into that too in the book but I feel like maybe this was a better trade maybe that was an okay trade-off and this was a better way to go about it um depending on what you know what the producers wanted to wanted to portray in the show overall right I also think the book version shows a lack of closeness like this was Solomon's deal. And we get the impression from the show that his name was on this deal, leaving up to his father who's leaving it up to some other person to go convince her. That's really like a distance. It's like, dude, do you really want the deal? Are you doing the most to get this deal? I mean, people have been showing up at this woman's house trying to convince her and she's not being convinced. And you're just gonna leave it up to your father's friend? That, that seems too far. So I definitely like the television version more. And I'm also going to go ahead and segue here because one of the things for me and in my notes that I wrote about because I found it to be extremely significant was the concept of this taste of rice. So like I never realized that there was a different taste for rice from different places. Like I think aside from realizing jasmine rice, your regular white rice, brown rice, like yeah, those have different tastes, but like rice from a different country or a different place having a different taste I never knew that and so I was in my mind as a 
Midwesterners where I'm born and raised and then moving to the South, trying to figure out what would be the closest thing that could make sense for me. I thought about, I'm from St. Louis, so St. Louis style ribs. And I was like, okay, yeah, now if you go someplace and you get ribs somewhere and they say, oh, these are St. Louis style ribs, but you from St. Louis, and that ain't the same thing. So I was like, okay, that I might be able to use as my comparison. Do you all have any kind of comparisons or things like that that stick out for you? Because I had to parallel it for myself. Uh, I, I I totally understand where you're coming from. I can't think of a specific example for me, but I do know that, you know, you don't really appreciate or understand what you have is different until you go elsewhere, you know? So I, I can totally see that because I'm a person who's living somewhere where I didn't grow up also. And you notice these small differences. And when you have a taste from home or just like an action or some sort of cultural thing from home, you just like, oh yeah. And maybe someone who's not from either of those places will not even understand what you're seeing or what you're feeling or what you're tasting. So I get it, but I don't have a specific example. What about you, something else? Um, I mean, you know, other than like St. Louis fried rice, <laughs> I think the rice thing was very particular, but I don't have any examples that are exactly like that. No, I think you just gave a perfect one, the St. Louis fried rice, because I don't care where you go, you're not <laughs> I'm laughing because it is so apropos. You're not going to taste rice like that anywhere else. Yeah, but you know, that's about like how you make rice and not about like how it is. Not the rice itself. Right, right. right. You know, maybe how pizza in New York is different from pizza elsewhere because even if it's made the same, the water, the New York City water is different. Yeah, I was going to say that with with the New York example because they say that about the pizza dough and the bagels that the water is different. So, it's not going to taste like that anywhere else. Does that have any significance? I think it's just nostalgia for these women who haven't been to their home in how many years does she say she hadn't been back? Many, many years. You know, she's been gone more than she was in her homeland. Right. And I'm going to parallel that too, though, because I think it did have significance to if you go back her last time having it, this would be me jumping over into another uh, episode, but unfortunately, I have to go here for the sake is when her mom cooked for her before she left and she went and worked hard to get her some rice so that she could have a taste of home before leaving and i was like oh that made me think about the movie soul food and how food can have those kinds of connections to home and a place of feeling like you belong or where you're supposed to be because this is you know your stuff from your place your people so you know i was just looking at the symbolicness of the things that they've done because I feel like this director has done a superb job of putting these like poetic symbolic things in place but go ahead we can definitely talk about rice again in episode four because I agree with you there's some significance there but I mean I'm pulling this completely out of my ear I did not think about this before but the rice I wonder speaks to kind of Solomon he looks like them but he's not the same flavor (laughs) You know, anything else that you all noticed in episode three that you want to talk about? I'm kind of fuzzy on everything that happened, but I think we talked about the main three events, the deal uh, being introduced to Isak and Kohansu. Yeah. Right. How he, yeah. I mean, I think Hannah, I think he got another call from Hannah. Did he? Um, What did she say in this one? 
I just remember when they were celebrating, he gets a call from Hannah and he doesn't yeah. get to fully talk to her because, you know, Tom the boss up. comes in. Yeah, and hangs up. And that was just super rude. Hannah's like this figure that's hard to hold on to. And here he has his life and his success getting in the way of reaching out to her or helping her in, in some way. So, yeah. I'm curious to see how how Hannah is treated in the show. Like, how much more of her are we going to see? She's super annoying to me. Like, I don't... Like, I have sympathy for whatever she's going through. Like, she's going through something, and I don't like for people to be in pain. But she's so annoying. I, I She's a character in the book that I did not like. So, but but I think she's being portrayed right now in a somewhat sympathetic way, and... I'm just curious to see where she's where her character is going to go on the show. If they're going to if they're going to develop her at all or if she's just going to be this mysterious person that calls every now and then to talk to Solomon because it's starting to get annoying to me because I don't like her. That whole scene really agitated me. I was agitated cuz I was like, why would Tom hang up on his phone call? He's celebrating his success. And the whole point of you wanting him to get off the phone was just so y'all could drink champagne. He's in the middle of a phone call like you all could have waited with the world. It wasn't that serious. Yeah, that was rude. That was rude and unnecessary, but I don't like Hannah, so I was like, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> like, but, but still, Tom didn't know who he was talking to. He didn't know how important that he conversation was. So for him to hang up the phone like that was just rude. I don't even know why they put that in the show. That was unnecessary. But I um, was wondering if the purpose was just to show like Solomon's life and things about Solomon weren't really considered as important because in their head he was their tool to do what they wanted him to do. I guess. Like Probably. that's the only way I can look at that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that we have exhausted episode three. And so everyone, please look out for our episode four, where we will further discuss this great show, Pachenko. I am something else and Song Ray. Have a good one, you guys. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to Black Girl Soul. We enjoyed having you, and please subscribe, like, and follow our Facebook page, YouTube channel, Twitter page, Instagram page, and join our Facebook group. You can also find us on Patreon. Please look below for links. See you guys next week.